This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious treasure that we have to be able to learn, to understand your heart, what pleases you, what displeases you. And I ask that you would give insight into your word to every single one of us present. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us, your church. We treasure your word this morning, and we look forward to what you are going to teach us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to continue this morning on our journey to freedom from slavery. And if you would turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Chapter 10, Exodus chapter 10. It's very easy for us as God's people to forget the good things that God does. And so over and over we are instructed to remember the goodness of the Lord. And one of the best ways that we can remember the goodness of the Lord is to be able to declare what he has done for us to others. It keeps it fresh in our memory. It's one of the reasons why it's so important that you have a fresh recollection of what God did in your life when he rescued you out of darkness and brought you into the glorious kingdom of his wonderful light. In fact, your testimony is one of your greatest tools to be able to share with others of what God has done. And it's important that you remember what the Lord has done. But as time goes on and as seasons change in our lives, we have a tendency to forget. God's people in the Old Testament had the same tendency. And so it was very specifically uh, written down for them of what the Lord had done. And in the book of Psalms, over and over again, we see the wonderful deeds of the Lord proclaimed through song. And these were put to music because music helps us remember. I remember when I was in Bible school and uh, I had different levels of difficulty in each class, depending on, often it really depended on the teacher. Sometimes it was the, the, the matter that was being discussed, but oftentimes it was the expectations of the teacher. And I remember in this one particular class, there was so much that we had to memorize uh, and we had to memorize Uh, like in 12-point font, maybe four pages of material, single space, and be able to produce that for uh, the final exam. And so I remember going over and over and over and over on the uh, material, and I had to come up with creative ways to be able to remember the material. And so there were some unique ways that I would use uh, that would end up helping me. As strange as it was, sometimes I felt 
uh, pleased that no one else was around, uh, but I would make funny gestures that would be able to help me remember specific things that I needed to be able to remember for uh, the starting of that, uh, of that sentence or a particular segment. Another way that I used was putting things to a little tune, and that tune would be able to help me remember. Oftentimes, little icons would be able to help me bring back to my memory exactly what that segment was supposed to start with so that my mind would not forget uh, what I was trying to uh, memorize. And over and over in Scripture, we see that songs were used to remember the goodness of the Lord. And Psalm 105 is one of those psalms that uh, lay out for us what the Lord had done for his people. And it begins by saying, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Listen to these words. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exalt in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles, and the rulings that he has given. You children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen one. He is the Lord our God, and his justice is seen throughout the land. He always stands by his covenant, the commitment that he made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant he made with Abraham and the oath that he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree and to the people of Israel as a never-ending covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan as your special possession. He said this when they were few in number, a tiny group of strangers in Canaan. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, Yet he did not let anyone oppress them. He warned kings on their behalf. Do not touch my chosen people and do not hurt my prophets. And then it begins from there to go into the story, really, of how step by step God would walk his people through so many trials and challenges to bring them, really, to what's called the promised land. And it's simply called that is because the land God had promised to his people. Now, God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of you in this room. And I believe that at times we get so caught up in the busyness of life that we don't always keep in our peripheral vision the fact that God is taking us somewhere. He is working on us. We may be going through a situation in our job, in our family, in our finances. It doesn't matter what it is. But whatever that trial is, God will use it for a purpose. That's why God's word says in the book of James that count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. Why? Because it is working maturity in us. Now, it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. In fact, we'd like to bail out of it. God, I'd rather there be some other way that I could get maturity. But God says, I'm growing maturity in you through the trials and the challenges and the situations that you find yourself in where there's pressure. I don't really prefer pressure. I like things when you can uh, sit peacefully and enjoy things without having uh, stress and problems. But the truth is, is that without the challenges, we can't grow. 
So you and I need to learn to embrace the challenges that we face because God is growing us through them. And it's very important for you and I to remember the goodness of the Lord in our lives. Now, as we walk through uh, these steps in learning about the children of Israel and how God set them free, this does us no good if it's only a story about people a long time ago and it doesn't apply to us. But if we grasp and understand that the same God who worked with them is the same God who's working with us. And if we also understand that the people way back then, though it was thousands of years ago, that they had the same tendencies that you and I have. It doesn't matter that time has passed. We may have different technology. We may live in different types of homes. And or we may have uh, different circumstances on the exterior. But you and I were made in the image of God. When Adam fell, we've lived in a fallen world from that point forward, and we've had to deal with temptations and challenges, and all of those things essentially remain the same. And so here you and I are, and you and I are going to stand before God one day. And whether in this life, whether we uh, reach a place where it might be a promised land for us in this life, is not as important as whether we are prepared to reach the promised land in the life to come. Over and over, we are referred to God working among his people on this earth in many ways as a foreshadowing of what he is doing in preparing his people for the life to come after we leave this earth. See, the truth is, is that no matter how good we have it on this earth, it matters very little if when we leave this earth, if we are not prepared for the presence of the living God. God worked so hard to set his people free. Over and over, he worked through Moses to do wonderful miracles. And when you continue to read on in chapter 105 of the book of Psalm, you'll see that step by step, God would work miracles. He would open up impossible doors uh, in the natural so his people could be able to reach the goal that he had in mind for them. But yet so many of them forgot about his goodness. And sadly, only two people out of approximately two million would end up entering the promised land. But God's promise would remain. And see, the truth is, is that God's promise remains for all of us, whether or not we choose to believe him. And so God will be faithful to his word the question that is important for us is, is, are we going to be faithful to believing God's word? Chapter 10 of Exodus, we are now entering into the eighth plague. And we see in verse 1 that the Lord says to Moses, Return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn so I can display my miraculous signs among them. I've also done it so you can tell your children and grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs that I displayed among them. And so you will know that I am the Lord. God had a purpose for the work that he was doing. He wanted his people to be able to declare his wonderful works to their children and to their grandchildren. Friends, your parents in this room, it is your greatest responsibility to declare the wonderful works of God to your children. And if you're a grandparent in this room, 
Uh, sometimes some of you uh, may be dealing with situations where your grandchildren uh, only have an option to hear about the good news of God through you. Maybe some of you, your children have wandered away from the Lord, but God has given you the opportunity to affect your grandkids. Never tire of proclaiming the wonderful works of God to your grandchildren. God wanted to be able to be exalted, and so step by step, proclaiming his lordship over every single false god in the land of Egypt. And now we come to this eighth plague that God was going to bring upon the Egyptians so that the Egyptians and the Israelites would know that he alone is God. Verse 3 says, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, watch out. For tomorrow I will bring a swarm of locusts on your country. They will cover the land so that you won't be able to see the ground. They will devour what little is left of your crops after the hailstorm, including all the trees growing in the fields. They will overrun your palaces and the homes of your officials and all the houses in Egypt. Never in the history of Egypt have your ancestors seen a plague like this one. And with that, Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Verse 7, Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him. How long will you let us, let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins? So we see that God is telling Pharaoh, if you let my people go, I will pull back my hand that is resting upon you, that is bringing judgment upon your nation. But Pharaoh refuses to allow God's people to go. He remains stubborn. And so God continues to show his power. God always honors his word. No doubt if Pharaoh had said, Go ahead, and you can go worship your God. What do you think the Lord would have done? He would have relented, just like he said. The plagues would have ended. But the reason the plagues continued was because the rebellion continued and the refusal to allow his people to go. And so, even Pharaoh's officials began to plead with Pharaoh. Why don't you let these people go? First, they were helping Pharaoh out. They were doing everything they could to stand against the Lord. And now, they are standing with God in the sense of saying, Pharaoh, why don't you give up? There are different levels of stubbornness. There are those who, even when confronted with the truth, will absolutely refuse. I think of Saul of Tarsus. You may be familiar with the story. Saul was a man who was well-trained in the ways of the Pharisees, and he was a man who was set on doing what he thought was God's will. And so he would go and he would persecute people who were of the way. And these were followers of Jesus. 
And so Saul thought that he was doing what was right. And in route to continue what he was doing, the Bible says that God revealed himself to Saul. He was knocked off of his horse and he lost his sight. And later on, we see that God even took him to a, a certain place where he had wonderful revelations that he received from God. God revealed to him that the very ones that he was persecuting were following him, and he was well mistaken. When he received that revelation, Saul ended up changing his heart and turning to follow Jesus. He would pay a great price for that. He went to Ananias. Ananias prayed for him. He received his sight back. And we have much of the New Testament today because Paul was willing to turn his heart to the Lord. Paul was a great example of someone who was doing exact opposite of God's will, thinking he was doing God's will, and yet when confronted with the reality that he was opposing God, he turned and changed. But Pharaoh, on the other hand, that is an example of someone who, when confronted with the truth, chose to continue in walking uh, completely opposed to the will of the Lord. And God gave him chance after chance to change his heart and mind, and he refused to do so. And so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, verse 8, and Pharaoh says, all right, go and worship the Lord your God, but who exactly is going to go with you? Moses replied, we will all go. Young and old, sons and daughters, our flocks and herds, we must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. We pause there for a moment to say that God desires every single part of us and our household to be surrendered to him. That's God's heart. It's his desire. The enemy, on the other hand, wants to do everything that he can from you and your household being sold out to serve the Lord. And so Pharaoh desires to negotiate. Moses says, we're all going. Verse 10, Pharaoh responded, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if I will let you take your little ones. I can see your evil plan. Never, only the men may go and worship the Lord, since that's what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. I've seen it over and over again. The Holy Spirit grasps someone's heart, and they begin to be passionate about serving the Lord. And the enemy begins to say, you're going to serve the Lord with that? Okay, but you can't touch this. Oh, you're going to set aside this time for serving God? All right, but you can't touch this time. The enemy always wants to keep his foot in the door. And Pharaoh wanted to do the same thing. Why? Because he knew that if they all left, that they would be free. And he wanted to make sure he had some strings attached. And so he said, no, you can't take anything, but I will allow the men to go. Now, why would the enemy allow 
something to be dedicated to God, but not something else. See, the truth is, is that the enemy was realizing he didn't have as much control as he thought. The enemy doesn't give up stuff voluntarily. In his negotiation, he's trying to, in a very slick way, keep every single thing he can. But here's what you and I need to remember in what might seem to be a negotiation, is that our God is greater than the enemy. And there is no plan that will succeed against the Lord. Now, the timing of this sometimes takes a while to work this all out. But you and I have to be careful that we stand firmly on the side of the living God to be able to say to the enemy, I am not giving you one inch. I am going to allow God to have full use, full control of my mind, my body, and everything that pertains to me. Why the word of God tells us in Romans chapter 12 that God is looking for those who will surrender every part of themselves as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable to him. That's our reasonable act of worship. But every single one of us in this room go through one temptation or another for the enemy to say, all right, if you're really set on serving God with that, fine. But I get to keep this part. I get to keep this part. That part of you, that can't be a living sacrifice to God. You and I, we've got a deal going on. And unfortunately, the enemy tries to blackmail us because he knows the things that we've done wrong, just like you know. And here's where he gets his foot in the door. He begins to bring condemnation to make us feel like there is no hope for this particular area of our lives. Oh, I know you've surrendered to God, you're serving him, you go to church, you read your Bible, but in this particular area, I've got you. I've got you. And here's what God wants you to know. When he sent his son to die on the cross, the blood of Jesus covered every single sin. Every single one. Now, in your mind, you may think, man, that's terrible what I did. In fact, I knew what I was doing and I did wrong. God knows every single thing that you've done wrong. What he wants you to do is he wants you to repent and to bring that to him. And when you do, he will wash you. He will cleanse you and he will make you brand new in that area too. I'm not just talking to someone in this room who has not chosen to follow Jesus. I'm talking to those in this room who may be walking with the Lord for a long time. And the enemy still got his foot in the door. And my challenge to you is kick him out. Kick him out. He's got no business there. You may be afraid of the repercussions of what happens when you kick his foot out the door. But I'm here to tell you that freedom is on the way. And when you've got freedom, no matter what consequences you've got to work through, it'll pale in comparison to having joy in your heart, to having peace in your spirit, to having all your shame gone. Now, at this point, God's people weren't technically free yet. They're still slaves. They're still making bricks. I don't know how they worked all this out with 
all of these plagues going on. We don't see all the details unfolding. I'm sure there was a bit of chaos there as the foremen were trying to get them to work or whatever, and, and all of these plagues coming on. There may have been just a, a little bit of slowdown. I'm hoping that there was. But nonetheless, there were still slaves in Egypt at this point. Whenever you are in a battle for freedom, friends, it, things get a bit ugly. So don't feel frustrated like, man, here I thought I was going to be serving God and all of a sudden the birds are going to start singing and the flowers popping up all around me and it's going to be a beautiful day. Well, I hope it's a beautiful day, but I'm going to tell you that sometimes it may not feel like a beautiful day when you're doing battle against the enemy of your soul. Those beautiful days come, absolutely. But there are times when you feel like you would rather bail out of the battlefield. And my challenge to you is don't give up because victory is on the way. Don't give up because God wants you to be completely free. He doesn't just want a part of your household saved. He wants everybody in your home saved. He doesn't just want a part you dedicated to him. He wants all of you. And God's going to hold out for it. And the enemy is going to try to negotiate away every single thing that he can. But he has no cards at the negotiating table. He can absolutely do nothing. He just thinks he can. But the truth is, is that you have already been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And because you have been purchased, you're not his anymore. You're not the enemy's anymore. He doesn't have any say. This is what I love about baptism. Now, towards the very end of this story, we see the perfect symbolism of what it means to be baptized in water. Because in baptism, there is a complete dying to ourselves. And there is a complete resurrection to new life. When a person has died, all of their obligations are no longer enforced, even in this natural world. You're going through the year, and let's say you, you're, you're, God is, is, has set your time to go home. You're coming close to April 15th, and you pass away before that date. Okay? You don't have to pay taxes anymore. Why? You're dead. Things change when you die. You stand at an altar. You make a lifetime covenant, and you say, till death do us part, right? God calls you home. That covenant ended. Why do I know that? Well, because you can make another covenant, and it's honorable in God's eyes, if you so choose. It, it ended at death. When you go down in the water, you are essentially saying, I'm giving up every single thing to the one who gave his life for me. 
And when you come back out of that water, it symbolizes that you're a whole new person, that you have been completely redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ to live a brand new life for him. Did you know that the word baptize means to immerse? That's what the word literally means. I know there are some who have gotten immersed by sprinkling. I don't know how that works. How do you get immersed through sprinkling? It doesn't carry through. The whole point is God wants all of you, not just the sprinkle on your head. He wants every part of you. That's why the critical part of getting immersed is because every part of you needs to be killed so that you can live for God in brand new life. And that is the critical part of our public declaration of water baptism. I'm here to tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have not yet taken that step, you need to do it. You need to do it. We have our class at 2 o'clock today for you to take that step to say, God, I'm not satisfied with just a part of me serving you. You know, you can serve the Lord and follow him. And I personally, from what I see in Scripture, you can walk and do what God has called you to do in other areas and never get water baptized. And I believe you'll still go to heaven. That's my understanding. But I do believe you're going to miss out because you never took that step of obedience. Truth is, is there are many people who are going to get to heaven. And the Bible tells us that all of their works, which were not saved by them, but all of their works are going to go through the fire. And out the other end, the only thing that's going to survive is things that are not wood, hay, and stubble. And when we are obeying the Lord, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven that is going to be able to make it through the fire. But there are some who will, the Bible refers to it in the book of Jude, someone who will barely make it into heaven like someone escaping a burning building. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get into heaven that way. Friends, obey Jesus. He's done everything he can do for you. Why not give every part of yourself to serve and to follow him? So here we see that Pharaoh wanted the rest to stay back. And so he said, no, the rest cannot go. In fact, only the men can go. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the land of Egypt to bring on the locusts. Let them cover the land and devour every plant that survived the hailstorm. So Moses raised his staff over Egypt, and the Lord caused an east wind to blow over the land all that day and through the night. When the morning arrived, an east wind that had brought the locusts, the locusts swarmed over the whole land of Egypt settling in dense swarms from one end of the country to the other. It was the worst locust plague in Egyptian history, and there has never been another one like it. 
for the locusts covered the whole country and darkened the land. They devoured every plant in the fields and all the fruit on the fields that had survived the hailstorm. Not a single leaf was left on the trees and plants throughout the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you, he confessed. Forgive my sin just this once. That's quite a curious request considering we're on plague number eight. And plead with the Lord your God to take away this death from me. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and pleaded with the Lord. Now listen to this. You and I know how Pharaoh has been so far. You know the, the, the stubbornness of his heart. But verse 19, look at the graciousness of our God. The Lord responded by shifting the wind. And the strong west wind blew the locusts into the Red Sea. Not a single locust remained in all the land of Egypt. Did you know God does good things for people whose hearts are hard? Did you know that? It doesn't even seem fair sometimes, but that's the reality of it. Pharaoh, he says, oh, would you please have mercy on me? Just this once. Each time it's just this once. And what does God do? He changes the direction of the wind, and not one locust remains. Friends, it's so easy for us, even as believers, to call on God. God, just this once, would you please do this for me? I know I haven't been serving you like I'm supposed to, but would you please, I really, really, really want this bad. Just this once. And we have spiritual amnesia. And forget that we over and over ask just this once. Well, I'm so grateful that he grants us that forgiveness, aren't you? But the truth is, is we need to remember that God desires for us to truly surrender our heart to him. So that he won't just be our spiritual 911, but that rather we would truly say, God, I love you when things are going well. And I can count on you when things are not going so well. And so God does this wonderful miracle. Verse 20 says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again, so he refused to let the people go. So just this once didn't work for that one. Now we're on to plague number nine. The Lord says to Moses, Lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. And during all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved, but there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. Go and worship the Lord, he said, but leave your flocks and herds here. You may even take your little ones with you. No, Moses said. You must provide us with animals for sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals, and we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. We won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. This is very interesting. 
because I believe God over and over puts us in these situations where he calls us to put him first, but we don't see beyond that. God doesn't go down all the list of things in detail before we respond in obedience. God speaks to every one of us in this room to prioritize him. Maybe at times we feel like, no, that's a little bit hard for me. I've got, I got this going on. I've got that going on. And so we choose to do our own thing. The truth is, is that the Bible tells us, eye has not seen and ear has not heard the glorious things that God has prepared for those who love him. And at times we stop right there. But did you know that that scripture continues? And it says this, it says, but he reveals them to us by his Holy Spirit. You see, there are things that God will reveal to you that he has in store for you when you get alone with him and you spend time with him. That on average, you would not have any clue about the wonderful, glorious things that God has in store for you until you set aside time and a place to worship him. Moses said, we can't leave our animals behind. In fact, God hasn't told us yet what he requires of us. God wants you, first and foremost, to follow through on command number one before he gives you another command. In your life, your growth with the Lord will depend on your faithfulness to do what he's asked you to do next. What good is it if he asks you to do something else if you haven't already done what he's asked you at this time? And so listen to the voice of the Spirit. As you sit in this place, what has God been speaking to your heart that you haven't yet followed through on? That very thing is the thing that's holding up the next blessing that God has for you. Because until you follow through on what God has called you to do, then he cannot unveil the next things. And so Moses was very clear, and he said, we've got to take all of our livestock with us. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more, and he would not allow, and Pharaoh would not allow them to go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted at Moses. I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied, I will never see your face again. And that is true. He would never see his face again. We just went through plagues number eight and nine, and the big one is yet to come. The lessons we learn from the stubbornness of Pharaoh applies to us as well. Because in our sinful nature, we also can say no to the Lord. If you think about it in your own walk with God, if there are times when you've said no to the Lord, oh, I'm so glad that God is gracious and he gives us another opportunity. But I want to remind you, friends, God's grace is poured out upon us. But there is a time limit to that grace. How do I know that? because we see it all throughout Scripture. In fact, we see in the book of Peter, the Bible says that even this world in which you and I live is reserved unto fire. 
The promise of the rainbow was that God would never flood the earth again. And he won't. But it is going to be destroyed by fire. That's what the word of God says. And so God will follow through on what he says that he will do. But during this time, in these last days, God's grace has been poured out upon unbeliever and believer alike. It's the grace of God that draws us to him. It is the grace of God that you and I are able to be here today. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I do not minimize the grace of God. But I also must say that that period of grace will not go on forever. There will come a day when every single person will breathe their last breath. And then they will stand before the living God. The opportunity to change their mind has passed. And it will be too late. At that point, a person cannot all of a sudden choose to say, Oh, now I'm going to serve you, God. No, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to do exactly what you wanted me to do. It will be too late. That day will come. It's a sobering thing. While we are alive and while God has given us this time of grace, this applies to the unbeliever as well as everyone in this room who believes in Jesus Christ. Don't take advantage of the endless opportunities that God gives you to put him first and to follow him with all your heart and to worship him. He deserves every bit of our worship. Now, I remember back when I was younger and I had some areas of my life that the enemy was trying to keep from following the Lord. And I remember during my uh, late teen years where I was struggling and I said, God, help me in these areas. And God gave me victory through a battle. But I remember that it was so critical that God spoke to me that if I didn't surrender to him, that there were going to be things that God would not be able to do with my life if I did not surrender to him. And I believe that's true for every single one of you in this room. God has a plan for you. It goes beyond going to church every Sunday. It goes, it goes beyond just giving, offering, or tithe even to the Lord. All those things are important, and you need to prioritize, build those in your lives as habits. But God has a plan and purpose to unfold through every single one of our lives. But it begins by completely surrendering ourselves to him and saying, Lord, I give you that area too. In the spiritual, symbolic way, some of us are living lives as if all that we've surrendered to God is just a portion. Essentially, we've allowed God just to sprinkle us. But what God really wants is to immerse us. He wants us to be a brand new creation for him. Otherwise, you and I are going to try so hard in our own efforts. You know, we talk about how we cannot get into heaven through our own good works. But sometimes we wrestle through with that. You, need, you and I need to understand that until we totally surrender and say, God, I know that I'd be lost without you. 
Only then can we get busy for the kingdom of God, recognizing it's by his grace that we've been saved, but we have been saved to serve the Lord. And I want to encourage every single one of us to surrender every part of our being, of our family, of our household, every part of your finances, every part of your possessions to the Lord. Say, God, I give it all to you. The enemy would say to you, you can set apart this for God, but I don't want you giving that to God. Keep the animals here. Keep the kids here. Because I know that as long as I've got something of yours, you're going to be a slave of mine. You see how that works? But I want you to know this, and sometimes it's scary. You may feel like, well, I don't know if I really want to give that up. Because I've got all this security. I've got my home in Egypt. I mean, they might not be treating me very well, but at least I get something to eat. I get some kind of a paycheck. And, and what happens is we get locked in to this life of slavery to the enemy, not realizing that there is a wonderful freedom once we completely allow God to have dominion over every area of our lives. And so this morning, the way that I would like to wrap up this time together. First of all, I want to ask every person in this room. I never take for granted that because you're in church that you're ready to be in heaven. Because it's a matter of our heart and it's a matter of whether we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. God didn't say that we, through religious activity, can inherit the kingdom of God. If you're here today and you have never surrendered your heart to Jesus, or maybe you have, but you've walked away from him, you've done your own thing, the Holy Spirit says to you today, come home. Come home, and I'm willing to receive you to myself. Ask uh, my son Daniel if you could come and play on the guitar, and I'm going to ask all of us to just cl close ourselves in with God. And if you're in this place and you'd say, Pastor, I know that I need to surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. And I want to do that this morning. See, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. There are people who have left this planet even while we have been in service this morning. And I want to encourage you not to take for granted the life that God has given you nor the grace that he has poured out upon your life. And if you're in this room this morning and you need to make that decision to follow Jesus, to give up your sin and to surrender your life to him, I'd like to ask you to simply raise your hand right where you are this morning. I'd love to pray with you Bible tells us with our mouth we confess and with our heart we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. God wants all of his people to be completely free. If in your life you have a little area and you know that there's a battle going on in that zone and you need some help in prayer, believing God for victory so that Every part of you will be released to worship the Lord with your life. Set apart for his purposes. 
during this time, I want to invite you to simply stand to your feet right where you are if the Spirit of God has been tugging at your heart in a certain area that is yet to be fully surrendered, and you would say, Pastor, pray with me, please, because I want complete freedom for the glory of God. If that's you, right where you are, just between you and the Lord, but we're in this together, so we're going to believe together that you're going to have victory in this battle in the name of Jesus. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. If God's been speaking to your heart, don't miss this window of opportunity. I truly believe that God wants you to live free for His glory. With every eye focused on the Lord, with your heads bowed this morning, right where you're standing, I want you to make it a place of commitment. And I want to invite you to simply surrender that area that you are battling to the Lord. Between you and God right now, as you stand there in prayer, would you say, Lord, I give this to you. I surrender it to you. I no longer hold on to that area, and I pray for victory in the name of Jesus. In a moment, we're going to pray together, but I want you, in your own heart, and of your own free will to simply surrender it to God, and He will help you. What God started in your life, He will fulfill. He will finish. He'll complete it. And now I'm going to pray with you, and if you would agree with me in prayer, for every single one who's seated, I want to ask you to simply join in prayer uh, in your own words that the Spirit of God will move this morning and give victory Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who had the boldness to stand this morning. I believe that their step of faith will be honored by you. And I pray in agreement with them this morning for a victory in that area of their life where they are asking, oh God, would you intervene? I desire to be completely sold out for you, Lord. God, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, give divine wisdom in setting safeguards, in taking any necessary steps. Whatever area, oh God, there is victory that is needed, I pray that the sword of the Spirit would be used, the Word of God. I pray that you would bring specific scriptures to their attention and to their mind. And as they meditate and apply your word, God, I pray for victory. I pray for strongholds to be torn down for the glory of God. I pray that today will be the very last day for certain issues to constantly be bringing back to the surface, but that those areas will be destroyed and that there would be complete freedom in the name of Jesus. I pray for peace that passes understanding. I pray for areas where there are shame. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that shame will be taken away as these specific areas are surrendered to you, God. I pray that the repentance that each one brings before you will be a genuine one. 
and that there will well up within each one of us a genuine hatred for sin, a hatred for everything that puts you on that cross, and that we will love righteousness, and that we will pursue purity and what honors you. God, I stand in agreement with my brothers and sisters here this morning, and I proclaim that with every part of our household, symbolic of your people going out to worship you, we're taking the men, the ladies, the kids, the animals, we're all going for the glory of God, and we are going to give it all to you, for you deserve it all. We leave nothing back, and we won't negotiate anything less. We choose to surrender to you our minds, our hearts, our physical bodies. And may what you receive bring joy to your heart. Lord, I ask your blessing upon each person. I pray that you would give them victory today, tomorrow, this week, next month. I pray that year will turn into year, that to the end of their life, they will remain faithful to the end in serving you with everything that is within them. I dedicate to you, all of us, Lord, for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, your challenge is walk firm in the faith and don't give up. God will help you, but you've got to do your part. Keep your eyes on him and listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit that says, this is the way. Walk in it. May God richly bless you today. May he go with you in all that you do on your job. May you experience his provision and prosperity as you honor him and as you exalt him with your life.